remember we tested uh, Scotty Spike Cameron, Cameron versus a, a knockoff yeah. Scotty Cameron? Yeah. One of the retail shops that we work with had a massive Scotty Cameron inventory. And they went back through and club by club, putter by putter, went through their inventory. And I believe it was like upwards of 50% of the Camerons in their inventory were fake. Mm. So absolutely insane. Hello, friends, and welcome back. We're glad you're here for episode number 47 of No Putts Given. And we're getting to a simple question, but not always a straightforward question today. Should you buy used golf equipment? I'm going to pull the guys, so let's get it. No Putts Given is powered by My Golf Spy, the most extensive reviews in golf. Before you buy, My Golf Spy. Nine million readers do it every year. Check us out. All right, hello everybody. We've got Tony, Harry, and Chris with us today. Fellas, how you doing? I do well. What you got, Chris? Uh, what do we got today? We got a little coffee. We went with, uh, let's see, flavor of the wheat, lemon lime. It's good Ooh. in a coffee. It, yeah, I, so I, <laughs> I, I made the mistake. I made the mistake of put CBD in the coffee. I thought, hey, yeah, it's not a, not an awful idea. But turns out it was an awful idea. It turned out because you know, kind of that whole oil water doesn't mix thing, right? <laughs> the oil kind of separated, just stayed on top, and it's like, oh, ooh. it was a lot of CBD and very little coffee <laughs> to start. <laughs> so uh, I just do it separately now. But I mean, I'm confused about the flavor profile: lemon lime in coffee. Is that a thing? Wouldn't that go better in tea? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I I don't mind it. It's not terrible. <laughs> yeah, no, I love a I love a good citrus coffee. Right? Thank you. So you're feeling good today. Good. So you should be I'm able to answer great. my <laughs> I'm doing great. You should be able to answer my burning question that I'm sure a lot of golfers share uh, when they're looking to buy new equipment. They're probably looking for a bargain. You know, we're all looking for a bargain, but should you buy used golf equipment? Hmm. Why not? Tony, why do you say why not? I mean, it's like golf equipment is kind of like a a car, right? Like if you buy new and as soon as you drive it off the lot, the value absolutely decreases. And you see very often, right? We talk about this off the rack buying experience, buying lottery tickets, things like that. And so so guys will will buy the metaphorical golf club lottery ticket. It won't pay out and so they'll they'll just trade it in or or sell it for the next one on you know pennies on the dollar in some cases so you know golf is an expensive game and if you look at it sort of some of the some of the feedback when we get when we talk about hey yeah you know maybe you should spend a little bit more money on golf balls think about you know the, how that translates to to golf equipment where new drivers 500 550 in some cases and you know, as soon as those things come off the lot and they've been hit a few times, the uh, the cost drops dramatically on the used market. So I think there's there's a ton of opportunity to get good equipment. You know, fitting fitting paradigms notwithstanding, but good equipment at at way better prices than you get walking into a, a golf store and and buying off the rack. Harry, what's your initial thought? Should you buy used golf equipment? Yes. If you know where it's come from, and you and you sh- and you know, I know you can't definitively know that it's not forged and it's not fake kind of thing. I think yeah. I mean, 
if I'm getting into the game, I'm not going to go buy a brand new set just in case I drop it the next week. I'm going to go into a used store, buy some clubs that gets me into the game. And then if I get real serious, then I might look at a new set. But I, I haven't bought a new set until I gamed my golf spy or actually went into college um, without all those discounts. I mean, you're, I mean, you're, you're, you're going to drop about a grand, you know, on average for a full set of irons. And then you got to put wedges on top of that. I mean, you're looking about potentially 2000 plus dollars of equipment if you go new. So in my opinion, I think use is fine. I would go get the specs checked and make sure the lofts and lies are all relative to each other. But yeah, I don't see the, I don't see why not. Chris, how about you? What do you think right off the bat? You know, my gut reaction without thinking about it at all was, mm, yeah, why wouldn't you? Because golf clubs last a long time. Technology doesn't improve overnight. I mean, we've said this before with drivers, metal woods, it, it takes them three to five years to really engineer something that's probably quantifiably different for a lot of players. And so if you look at, you know, the that the half-life of a set of irons, I mean, uh, again, I'll go back to Adam Scott, Daniel Berger, guys who are playing iron models that are 8, 10, 12 years old. Um, say, hey, if I could take off 40, 50% of the cost or something and use up 1% to 2% of its uh, lifespan, um, you know, why wouldn't I do that from an economic standpoint? So that's my gut reaction. I think there's more talking points to it, but my gut reaction is, why wouldn't you? So if I'm playing devil's advocate, let's say you're using eBay to buy your used clubs. Aren't you taking the risk that you're buying a club that is fitted to someone else's spec? So you're kind of taking a chance or a leap of faith that it's going to work for you, right? Well, you're, you're doing that anyway, if you're buying off the rack for the most part. Uh, so un unless you're going in and getting a proper fitting you know, you're always, again, Adam likes to say, buying a lottery ticket, and that, that's mm -hmm. essentially what it is. I think the bigger risk with the used market, and I think this would be Adam's argument for why you shouldn't, is you, you don't always know what you're getting in terms of, hey, is this an authentic club or is this this counterfeit, right? Because there is, there is still some of that goes on. Several years ago, we did a test, right? We remember we tested uh, Scotty Cameron, Cameron versus a, a knockoff yeah. Scotty Cameron. Yeah, and you know, part of the the interesting fallout from that is one of the one of the retail shops that we work with had a massive Scotty Cameron inventory, and they went back through and club by club, putter by putter, went through their inventory, and I forget the exact number, but I believe it was like upwards of 50% of the Camerons in their inventory were fake. Mm. So yeah, absolutely insane. And so. And that's a legitimate retailer. That's not somebody right, right. selling it to you on the internet. A, a big, well, I'm sure they do sell through the internet, but right. A big, not, not some guy, right. Not some, some guy who set up a fake golf shop, internet presence type of thing, like legitimate retailer. Uh, so that's a risk, and <laughs> it sounds almost terrible to say it, but but one of the ways you can mitigate the risk of buying a counterfeit club is to buy a club that nobody would is is likely to counterfeit. <laughs> right. But if you right. think about it, right? If if you're in the counterfeit business, what are you going to counterfeit? You're gonna you're gonna counterfeit most the popular stuff, right? You're yeah. gonna, so you're you're gonna counterfeit Scotty Cameron. That is a great example. Probably I would wager the most counterfeited brand on the market anywhere 
And, and if you're going in and trying to knock off a driver or irons or something like that, you're going to knock off a market leader. You know, the, your chances of buying a knockoff Cobra driver, for example, is as as good as they tend to perform in our tests are minimal because their market share isn't close to what what TaylorMade's is or what Callaway's is in that space. And so, you know, if, if you think about it that way, there are ways to mitigate the risk that comes from buying used on something like eBay. And again, still no guarantees, right? Because there was a, a retailer we know of that had 50% or so of its Camerons on the shelf were counterfeit. But buying used through, you know, Global Golf, for example, is a are, are uh, someone we, we go to a lot for used stuff. Second Swing is another one that, that yeah. carries a, a massive used inventory. Three Balls, right, on, on eBay has a, has a good reputation as well. So there are places you can go to more safely buy used, but... You know, definitely not a, a 100% guaranteed to get authentic type of thing. Yeah, it depends on what kind of risk you're looking to mitigate, right? I mean, is it a risk around that this isn't properly fit for me? Well, th there are different solutions within there, and some of them just take more work and effort than people want to do. I mean, you could go get fit, pay for a fitting someplace, get your specs, information, scour the internet for those exact specs on those items. And by the time you spent all of the time doing that, you're probably just better off buying a new set. You haven't spent the time, etc. A lot of places will take fitting fees, apply it towards purchases and that type of thing. And so I guess it really depends on what type of risk you're looking to, to mitigate. I think the other thing to keep in mind is if you're somebody who generally buys something new and keeps it for a long period of time, then I think the argument to purchase used clubs really almost becomes null and void because you're going to keep it long enough. The, the value of, of getting something that you know is new is warrantied. Maybe it's through a green grass account. You know the people there. So if something happens, you're going to be taken care of. You know it's authentic. All those things are taken care of and you're going to keep it for you know, a set of irons for six, seven, eight, ten years over the lifespan of those clubs. You're talking dollars and pennies, uh, you know, difference per year. So, you know, that that would be an argument to to really stick with new clubs, I guess. Do you risk spending more money buying used clubs that you're not quite sure fit your specs? Because what's the first thing if you hit a bad shot, you're going to do? You're going to blame the club. You're going to end up not using it or buying a different one. Do you risk spending more money? That's interesting. So I think there there are guys, right, where and I'm I'm notorious for doing it in the shaft space and I know that that there are guys who who do similar things where it's like, "All right, I'm going to I'm going to buy used to try, kind of a buy to try, and if I don't like it, uh because it was used when I bought it, when I when I go to flip it and sell it again, it it hasn't depreciated at all, really, especially if I'm turning right. it around within a couple months. And so Hey, I, I paid $200 for this used widget. I sold it for 200, had to eat $20 in fees. So I'm out, you know, 20 bucks in, in test fees, if you will. And I can just go and, and, and apply that money to the next one that I try and turn over that I'm going to try and, and just lather, rinse, repeat until you find something you like. So buying used can contain an element of self-fitting on the fly, if you will. And just let's let's do some experimenting, find something that that works or I think works. Right. Um, something that I like, something that some, something that my friends think is cool in my bag, whatever, whatever it happens to be. So if you are kind of that that churn and, and burn kind of used guy, 
you know, your, your expenses is absolutely minimal after the initial purchase. And now, Harry, I know that you do tend to take a look at used clubs before you buy new ones. I know that because I accept the deliveries when they come to the front door. But I think you come with a disclaimer because you understand your fitting specs very well, right? So you know exactly what you're looking for. Um, yes. Ish. Um, ish. Um, I know I know what to look for. Like, I'm, if I'm... So for instance, if I'm looking to get some new wedges, like I, like I did, um, mm -hmm. I wanted to remember what a Vokey felt like. So I bought a Vokey, uh, cause we didn't have any up here in the studio, um, with the new SM8. So I wanted just to feel how a Vokey compared to my RTX fours from Cleveland. Um, and that way I can, I can just get a sense of how, if I like the feel of this or didn't like the feel of that. And we know that feel doesn't always correlate to performance, but when it comes to certain things, I think it does play a factor. I like, I prefer a softer feeling putter, for instance, than a firmer feeling. That's just a personal preference of mine. Now my results might say this, the complete opposite. I'm, I'm very much a tinkerer. So I'll, I will go and buy whatever to, to make sure that I'm where I want to be. And it doesn't matter whether it's new or used. How do you make sure that you're getting what you you think you're clicking on, how do you make sure that that's what shows up on your doorstep? Is there anywhere in particular you go or red flags you look for? Well, it's credibility. So you look for a website, say like a Dick Sporting Goods has good credibility, you know that more than likely everything there is gonna be authentic. Now, obviously, whatever that manufacturer was that had like 50% of um, products that are fake, it's. It, and it all depends on what product it is. So a driver is easier to fake, I would say, than a wedge, potentially. I have no data to back that up, but I know putters are quite easy to fake. Drivers the same. Irons might be harder. In the in the counterfeit space, it's it's no different than than sort of standard retail, right? It's still about margins. And yeah. so it's you're not you're not going to make a, a huge margin counterfeiting a wedge because you can't really sell for an elevated price point. But something again, like a like a Scotty Cameron, where you can knock it off for you know, cost to cost for a counterfeit is probably 50 bucks or less and you can sell it for upwards of 400. You know, th then it makes sense. So like Harry said, like not everything runs as high of a risk because you, you can't you can't get kind of the margins you need to get to to even justify the effort involved in, in counterfeiting because, you know, counterfeiting still takes work, right? You, you have to make it passable from an appearance perspective. So and if you did if you did buy new and I'm guessing that a lot of retailers, you can send it back and just get a full refund. So that's a good that's a good thing about a new, but you have to come more out of pocket. When it comes to used, it really if you're buying it off, I know a Facebook or whatever, you you don't get a refund. It's you're stuck with it, and and that's that's it. Um, eBay, you have a refund policy, I think. Uh, but really, it's 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 really up to you. It's it's whatever you want to risk. If you're a gambler, and you see these set of irons for. 200 bucks and they normally retail at a thousand alarm bell should be probably ringing in your head unless they're like beaten up and they're like old 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 uh, it's really down to you 
Yeah, I think arguably the the better approach is is to buy last year's stuff new. Yes, yes. you can still. And again, you're not. You know, if you're a guy who wants Mizuno irons, for example, you're not. You're never going to see premium discounting on Mizuno irons just because of the way they manage their inventory. By the time the new stuff comes out, they're they're already out of the old stuff. So there's no hey, we're we've got. You know, JPX 919, for example, on, on Blowout. That just, that doesn't happen. Uh, some of the other brands, you see a lot of that even in the iron space. My uh, One of the guys I play with, uh, my buddy Ben, buys a new driver every three years, give or take. And when I say new, the last two new drivers he's purchased have been a previous year Cobra. Because again, like you can get really, really good discounts on that stuff upwards of you know, 40, 50% in some cases, brand new from a, from a reputable retailer, you know, maybe, maybe the inventory isn't as strong as it, it would be when the, when it's current year. So you don't maybe have the ideal selection of stock shafts, for example, but you're getting a hell of a deal on a product, you know, is authentic. And, you know, again, fitting paradigms, notwithstanding are, is going to perform like it should. That's a good point. And it's it certainly too, from just the, the mental psychological element of it. Like you don't, you don't feel punched in the stomach right? when yeah. you buy something used as opposed to new when, <laughs> you know, four months after you bought it, it's 20% off. Tony, I want to play on that idea because like you said, you don't feel as much of a punch in the gut. You feel less guilt. So we talk about getting fit all the time and we're very cognizant of the fact that golfers are reluctant to get fit. Is buying used clubs another excuse or reason not to get fit? Because uh, I didn't spend as much money on it. So if it's not perfectly fit for me, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've had this discussion you know, in comment sections and on this show multiple times now, we see the pushback on on something like a golf ball, right? Where, yeah, I'm not going to get fit. I'm just going to save money. I need to to cut costs somewhere because I have to pay greens fees, and I would rather I would rather be able to afford golf. You know, buy, spend less on equipment and afford to play golf than than have money to play golf or or have equipment and no money left over to play golf. So, you know, there there's definitely an element of that for sure. Where you know, I feel like. If, if you can, sp if spending less money gets you something that, that one makes you feel good, right. And, and gives you adequate performance and then gives you the financial freedom to do other things, especially if those other things involve playing more golf, then yeah, realistically we, we can preach, get fit, get fit, get fit all day. But if, if it costs you you know, I did some rough calculations when when Harry was talking about the cost of products to to go out and buy a full bag of new stuff. Conservative average four thousand mm -hmm. dollars with with today's market prices, and so easily you know you can yeah. you can spend four thousand dollars doing it that way, or you can buy used and spend. I mean, this was a few years ago. I did an article where I assembled a full bag based on eBay sales for under a thousand. I think you could probably still do it for fifteen hundred, and so. I mean, that's obviously a massive savings, and and it, and in some cases, that savings difference right there is enough to cover the cost of a of a membership at a golf club. So, so if I can cut the cost of buying equipment in by fifty percent or more, and use right. that money to play an unlimited amount of golf, I mean, that's yeah. It's it's as much as I say, go get fit, and you should get fit, and absolutely, if if performance you are focused on maximizing your performance you absolutely should go get fit um but if you just want to 
you know, have decent equipment and, and be able to play a shit ton of golf used, you know, previous model there, it, it just makes a lot more sense in terms of, of maximizing your time on the golf course if you are on a limited budget. Okay, so all of your perspectives kind of surprised me a little bit. I was expecting at least one of you to say, heck no, only buy new. It's too much of a, a risk to buy used. So with that in mind, Chris, what tip would you give golfers that are insistent on buying used? So I, I would say two tips just just around this conversation in, in general is number one, and this is a personal pet peeve. I don't necessarily have any data to back this up other than um, it's something that absolutely grinds my gears for whatever reason. And and that's when people buy new equipment and want to comment on or talk about resale value. Like, oh, you know, I, I bought this one and, and, and part of their purchasing decision was how much will this club be worth in a year or two years? You know, well, but, the, you know, this brand tends to hold their value better. I don't. Don't do that. It's it's you're buying a depreciation a depreciating asset that you know is going to depreciate a lot and relatively quickly. And again, if you're fit for it and it's something that you're going to kind of keep and hold on to, that that shouldn't ever factor into your decision. Like, oh, I'm going to spend five hundred fifty dollars on this driver because this one's going to be worth three hundred in a year, and that other one's only going to be worth two hundred seventy in a year. Well, that depends. You're still losing. It's got to be one of the dumbest things that I hear consumers say is, oh, I care about the resale value of this set of irons. It's, you've already decided, right? Like I, at the time of my purchase, I have already decided that I don't love this enough that I'm going to keep it for a while. I need to be that I'm, Well, that I'm going <laughs> to factor that into why, you know, oh, I, you know, these, again, maybe use Mizuno. Great example. They don't tend to discount stuff. Their stuff does tend to hold value. If you look on the resale market, a lot of times you'll, you'll probably pay a little bit more for used Mizuno irons because they do tend to hold their value well. But if I'm spending $1,400 on a new set of MP20s, I'm going, oh, man. I just love the fact that these might be worth 600 bucks in two to three years. Again, why? Why is that in your, you know, in your mindset on your, on your checklist? Okay, here's reasons I should buy it. Oh, yeah, high resale value. It sounds like something somebody, you know, a trainee at, at one of the big box stores convinced you to care about, and you didn't really stop to take two minutes to think through why that makes absolutely no sense. Well, it depends on what kind of golfer you are. If, if you're a guy who likes to tinker around and knows you go through sets like it is like candy think of it this way like a car so when i went and and leased my truck i looked at how reliable it is and how the residual value of that sure. car does not de depreciate so when i go to either sell it in whatever amount of years i know i haven't lost that much money now, if you translate that into golf equipment, if a if a if a golfer is just there to have all the gear and no idea and just enjoy going out and playing some golf, not caring about the score, right. they might want to do that. Now, if you're a serious golfer, you should play the best products that is fitted for you. Well, not fitted for you, but the best that's going to help your game and don't care about the resale value. Yes, I get that. But it all depends sure. in the golfer aspect. Like if you are that golfer who just wants to show off and hit a shank, you have blades and you're going to shank it five out of 10 times and they don't care, 
then I think it's fine. But it really depends on that golfer. And I know every golfer has a different mentality. Well, my, my, my primary issue with that method of thinking is that you've already predetermined to yourself. You're saying, okay, I am totally fine losing a lot of money on this purchase. I just want to mitigate how much money I'm actually losing. So now all we're trying to do is figure out how little money can I lose over the time of this purchase where, and in, in, in like Tony said, you've already predetermined that, that you know I'm going to buy this with the mindset that I'm going to sell it at some point. I know I'm going to take a, a loss on it because, again, we're talking about depreciating assets. We're not talking about things that are going to hold their value. We're not talking about collectible things or things that you might, you know, it might hope go up in value over time. So this is something you know you're going to take a bath on, right? Golf equipment depreciates relatively rapidly compared to you know, a lot of other items. Cars are probably a pretty good example. You know, and with the lease idea, you know, having a higher residual value on on a car is great for the car dealership because all you're paying for then, right, is you're basically renting yeah, the amount renting. of equity you're using in that car. You're paying the depreciation. Yeah, it's a $60,000 car. It's worth 40000 in three years. You're paying that $20,000 plus whatever jacked up interest rate they can they can get you on. So when they come back in, now this, oh, this car is worth $40,000. Well, that's good. It kept your payments low. But if you want to continue to have that car, guess what? Now it's more expensive. Right, the the fact it kept its value high means that that's now a more expensive car for you to continue to own if you want to own it, right? Or you hopefully have some equity in it, flip it back around, and just continue in that cycle of of trying to play that. My point with the with golf equipment is that to me that's not a valid reason if to to buy a golf club. Now, there's plenty of people that probably disagree, and that that is important to them. But from a value standpoint trying to help consumers understand what makes sense, when to purchase things. When your question you're asking yourself is, okay, how little money can I throw away on something? Which is basically what you're asking when you're thinking about trade-in values. Okay, how, how much money can I lose on this? And, and can I reduce that a little bit? That's not necessarily a solid way to go about purchasing golf equipment. My opinion. Was that both tips or do you have one more? Uh, oh, I had, one. <laughs> I had one more. Um, it, it was basically this and, and, it, and it's a simple way for people because this, this can all get pretty confusing and stuff. Say, so, okay, <clears throat> buying new from a retailer, Greengrass account, whatever the case is, that's going to be your highest cost, right? Most likely you're high, buying new equipment. That's going to be your highest cost. And it's also going to be your highest level of risk mitigation in terms of, is it fit for me because you have opportunity to do that? Is it authentic? Is it warrantied? All that stuff. For every step you move away from that, you're introducing a step of risk. The question is, at what point in time have you introduced more risk than you're comfortable with? And and I think that's where Tony, you know, if you're looking at last year's models or things that are on closeout or blow, whatever, basically what you're doing is you're maintaining all of that upside in terms of the authenticity, maybe ability to get fit for it, et cetera. And the only thing you're possibly reducing is maybe some choice selection and availability on some very particular items. You're not introducing any risk of, uh, you know, counterfeit or or anything like that. And there is a big, you know, potentially a big cost upside. Anything beyond that, now you're introducing uh, the second risk factor, which is quality, you know, is is it the real deal stuff and, and possibly some type of warranty issues, things like that. So, um, you know, kind of maybe think about it like that type of a scale to help yourself understand, okay, where am I starting to get uncomfortable with this? That's it. That's all I got. 
Yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing too. Like if, if you decide, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get fitted for, for my equipment, you, that pretty much locks you into the current year stuff because, you know, fitters have, have gotten rid of that inventory. Um, potentially you could get fitted at a big box for some, from, for some leftover inventory, but for the most part, that, that's, that's part of the deal is that stuff is, is the fitting opportunities are gone. And so it really is right. strictly an off the rack decision because you, you don't see, you don't see fitters fitting for, you know, last year's stuff or the two years ago stuff. And you, you don't see them fitting for, for used equipment that they happen to have in inventory because the, uh, you know, it's in terms of what you can sell it for, it's really not worth the time commitment to do that. So, yeah. Right. As Chris said, as you, as you move down the ladder, you, you, Increase your risk and, and decrease your options. All right, guys. Well, this is a good discussion. Um, I'm sure it helped a couple of golfers out there make the decision whether to buy new or used. So I think, yeah. But uh, why don't we take a look at what's coming out of the facility this week, shall we? We shall. Sure. This week, best performance gloves. The Mizuno Elite is number one. Winning design and construction put it in the top spot. It's made with flexibility and grip in mind, and it ranked first in feel. The Ping Sport is runner-up. Built like a premium glove, the Sport provides a relaxed fit, reliable grip, and fits true to size. Though the material is thicker, it's still breathable and comfortable. Third place goes to the Titleist Players Flex. Comfortable soft leather keeps you connected to the club. Barely there stitching and good flexibility make it a top finisher, but make sure you try before you buy. It might be a tight fit. Finishing fourth, the Ping Sport Tech. Now it's not quite up to the same standards as the Sport, but the Tech has better than average feel, is breathable, and it fits true to size, though the material might be a little bit stiff. And finally, best value goes to the Srixen All Weather. 10 bucks buys you a great grip, comfortable fit, and reliable performance. But again, try before you buy. The material is a little loose in the fingers. All right, guys, well, that's about all I have for today. Anybody want to add anything else fun, exciting, or new? That discussion just confused me. Why? <laughs> I'm more confused than I can. <laughs> well, can we clarify anything quickly before we go? Yeah, I think you can. I mean, I think what you can clarify is we start with the really simple question, should you buy used golf equipment? And and sometimes the most simple questions don't have the most simple, straightforward answers. And, and the real answer is it Maybe. depends. <laughs> yeah, it depends on, you know, really we talked about three or four factors. One, what is your uh, risk aversion? What's your risk profile like? you know, as, as an individual, how important is it for you to be fit for equipment if that's, uh, you know, a, a majorly important thing? And, you know, what's your budget look like, right? We could almost post like, hey, here are three or four different questions. And if you answer yes to this one, it's almost like a little profile, you know, are you a better candidate for used equipment or are you a better candidate for new equipment? And we could probably ask, you know, three or four questions to help people determine which segment is probably better for them. So Harry, we just have to get your profile and then we'll tell you. Yeah, I, I, I go in, I go into a, into a closed store, go straight to the sales rack and that is me. <laughs> um, that's just how I operate. And if I know my specs, I'll go off of that. Fair enough. 
All right, well, everybody, we want to remind you to like our YouTube page, leave us a comment, review us on uh, the podcast. We want to hear what you're thinking, and it really helps us make sure that you're getting the show that you want. So, everybody, say goodbye, because we out. Peace. Bye.